really excited about this morning. I've been talking about what's on the table. And using the metaphor, using the, the idea or the story behind table in the Bible. And you might think, well, what, did, what does that really come from? And last week we talked about the last table and the significance and what that means. I really believe this morning that God is going to speak to you in well, maybe a way that you haven't thought about. And maybe open up some areas that have been shut down. Because I think God wants us to understand a real important principle. So we have a table on this whole uh, series from teaching from a table <laughs> just uh, to help us get a feel for what a table is. Now, this table is an awesome table. It's one of our tables that we uh, usually have in our, our lobby. And this was made by uh, Pastor Mike, who is our worship uh, pastor. And uh, he did an incredible job. In fact, people come in and they look at this table and think, wow, that's an amazing table and uh, it must have cost a fortune. I said, well, actually one of, one of our guys made that table. And, but when Mike designed and built this table, he built it so it would stay in one place. So it doesn't have wheels. It's not supposed to move. It's really, really heavy. Uh, and so it's supposed to stay in one place. And most tables are like that. Most tables are meant to just stay in one place. They're not meant to move. I suppose there are different uh, tables, but for the, for the most part, the majority of tables are meant to stay in one place so that you can gather around them, that you can eat off of them, and not worry about them uh, moving back and forth. But, and that's the case with this table. But there is a table that I want us to look at that's in the Bible. And as we last week talked about the last table, this is one of the very first tables that we find in the Bible. And I think the story behind it is something that is significant for us to sort of understand what is God saying to me today? Because I believe God has something he was going to speak into your life. And whether you're very young or you have been a Christian forever or this is something that's entirely new to you, understanding what the Christian walk is about, Understanding the significance of the table, this table, one of the first tables, is important. You see, Israel was uh, God's people. And so what God said is, I want you to build a place for, that, that I would reside. And so they had a tent, and in that tent they placed the ark that was representing the presence of God. And they had a huge curtain that would keep uh, everything away from the ark. But just outside of that, they had a, another little uh, room in this tent, and they had a table in that. And that table was called the showbread table. It was uh, literally the, 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 the bread of presence. And what they would do is they would take 12 loaves of bread that were made every single week, and they would place it on this table. Now, what the significance of this table is that the table moved. It was always designed to move. It was never designed to just be in one place. It had rings on each corner and they would put long poles through it so that they could carry the table. The table was meant to move. The bread that was on the table really speaks of a relationship and a connection. The, the bread of presence means it was in the presence of God and this bread was always consumed at the end of the week by uh, the priest. And so the point is that this bread represented a relationship, a connection between God who was behind the veil, who was the presence, and the people who were outside the tent. And in the middle was this bread to bring God 
and man together. So every time the ark moved, the presence of God moved, the table would move with it. (laughs) And the table represented the presence and the connection that man had to God and what God was trying to do in our lives. So this morning I want to talk about what's on the table. The series, what's on the table. And I want to talk about God's moving. God is moving. And that's so important to understand. The nuance of what does it mean that God is moving is not that God moves. God can move if he wants. He's God. You know, if he wants to move here, he can move there. But what is connected to that? The picture we have of God is moving is that God is moving, but he is moving so that we can move. You see the fact that God is moving and we sing God is moving, God is on the move, all the type of thing. What is important to understand is that God is moving so that we can move, so that we can be wherever we're at, whether we're at the beginning of our walk with God or whether we're in this situation or that situation, but we can move through it. The picture of what God has is always moving. Now you say, no, wait a minute, Greg. That same table was put into a permanent building that didn't move, and that's absolutely true. Is because God was not only, the picture we have is not only of God moving, but God dwelling and and connected with with the people. But that picture where the table was put in the permanent temple didn't last, did it? Because it was never about just staying. It was always about moving. And so eventually the presence that was in that temple moved and God brought us with him. And that came only through our relationship with Jesus Christ, which we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, uh, later. But sometimes, here's the point, God's moving and God wants us to move. But sometimes because of life, because of our own failures, our own weaknesses, our inadequacies, our fears, whatever it is, we get stuck. And we think, I, I want to move, but I don't think I can. I, I don't know how, or I don't know where I'm supposed to go, or I don't know if you really want me to move. I love the picture we have of Israel who was captive in Egypt. And they were slaves there and God came in and says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to set you free and we're going to take you to a promised land. So God says, let's go. And so all of Israel was set free because of just God's power and they're all following God. Now, we sort of see a picture of a table there and the the presence of God was this huge cloud and they were following God. So God leaves them out of the promised land. I mean, out of Egypt to the promised land. And as they're leaving Egypt, they come to the great sea. And then at that point, even though God said, I'm going to take you to the promised land, they seem to get stuck. Because behind them was the Egyptian army that said, oh, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have let them go. And the whole army was coming to attack Israel. So they had the sea in front of them, which they couldn't cross, and they had the army advancing, and they were stuck in the middle. Maybe that is sort of describes your picture, or your feeling, or where you're at, where you feel like, God, I want to do this, or I want to be this way, or I want to act this way, or I don't want to be trapped by this sin anymore, but I just feel stuck. There's a sea in front of me, the enemy's behind me, and I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. It's it's interesting, at this point, Moses, who knew God's word, who knew what God said, that he was going to take them to the promised promised land, goes before the people and gives them a good word. Now, you've got to watch this. Because he goes before them and says, hey, 
God is going to fight for you. Don't you worry. God's going to deliver you. You just stand still. Don't move. Just stand there and watch and see God do everything. And then he turns around and he goes to God and says, God, what are we going to do? And don't you think that uh, pastors don't do the same thing? God's got, God's got it. God's going to take care of everything. God's going to be good. And we go to God and we say, God, what are we going to do? And that's exactly what happened to Moses. And I love the word that God spoke to Moses. You see, a good word is great, but we need more than a good word. I believe we need a moving word. And I believe that's what God is speaking to us this morning. Because this is what God said in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 15. Remember, Moses just said to the people, don't do anything. Stand still. God's going to fight for you. Just be still. And then in verse 15, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? (laughs) Why are you whining like a baby? Literally, that's what God said if it was, you know, modern translation. Why are you, why do you crying out like you don't know what to do? Tell the people to move on. Tell the people to move. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Did you just catch what happened? Moses said, hey guys, stand still, don't do anything, God's going to do it. He goes to God and God says, why why are you talking to me like this? Why are you asking me? Why are you confused? Why do you not know? Tell the people just to move. It's always about moving. I'm leading, I'm out there, you have them move forward. And you see, it's, it's important to understand something. That we cannot settle for good words. But we have to find that moving word that God has for us. A good word is that uh, all these things that we know that are in the Bible. And they're good words. They're right words. But what is God saying to you right now? What is it the word that God is speaking into your life? Because God always has a moving word from his scripture. And sometimes we just said, oh, well, okay, I know somewhere the Bible says uh, just to be still and know that I'm God, which is absolutely right, which is good. It means make sure that you hear God's voice. But when God is speaking, what are you doing? What, what, what are you supposed to do now? God always has a moving word for us, a word that says somehow out of this. And sometimes that word is, trust me, I'm going to take care of it. And sometimes that word is get off your rear end and get out there and start doing something or start believing or start trusting or start asking me uh, for greater things in your life. What is the moving word that God has for you this morning? I think that's a real challenge for us this morning in the midst of everything going on on in our world. It's crazy out there, isn't it? You know, people are crazy and the riots are crazy, the protests are crazy and the pandemic's crazy crazy and the sickness and you know when's the last time you would ever imagine you would walk outside and your first thought is i wonder if there's a virus around here i mean it's just it's just mind-boggling when you think about all that but in light of all that the point is is that god wants us to understand what he's speaking to us see don't get stuck in your pain don't get stuck don't get stuck with where you're at. Don't get stuck in your failure. Don't get stuck with your mistake. Because you're looking at that sea and you're saying, I can't cross that. I know God wants me to grow, but I can't seem to grow because I'm stuck. There's an enemy behind me. There's a sea in front of me. And I'm just stuck here. So we get stuck in all kinds of ways. We get stuck because we make our own mistakes. We chose wrong. 
We chose sin. We chose poorly. We chose a hardness in our heart. We chose rebellion. Those things are true. But sometimes I think that we just get stuck because we just get satisfied with where we're at. We just think this is a good place. And so we don't grow. We don't change. Our attitudes don't change. We don't see the new that God wants us to do. So we made a commitment years and years ago to serve God, and then we come in, we sit down, we say, God, do your thing, that's cool. We go home, we live our life, we go to work, we make some money. And that's not what God has for you. And this morning, I, I want to just sort of stir a little bit. we got a table that's moving. God wants to move in your life. And when God moves, the question is, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to move with him? You say, God, I can't move, I'm stuck. Well, Maybe God wants us to understand something. Maybe God wants us to see something that's a bigger picture. You see, we have to be able to live on what is God saying right now. What is God saying now in your life? What is the movement that God wants to do in your life? Sometimes we, we just pick and choose, don't we? I like that song. God's going to do everything. God's going to deliver. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's going to be good. Uh, instead of what God is saying, no. I'm going to be the fourth person in the fire. <laughs> You're in the fire, but I'm going to be there with you. And I'm going to deliver you, but I'm going to... So we, what is that God is saying? What is the, the point that God wants to do? And I, I love Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. I, I just think Ezekiel, the prophet, is hearing from God. And this is what he says. He says, God says, I will put my spirit in you and move you. <laughs> You see, when the Holy Spirit came, it was always about God leading us and guiding us. And, he, and in fact, the whole function, and one of the my, primary functions of the Holy Spirit is not only to comfort us, but to guide us and to lead us. To do what? To help us move. Some, sometimes we get so stuck and we get stuck in an attitude that's been in our, in our life for 20 or 30 years, or uh, we get stuck in a resentment, whether it's been two days or, or 20 years. It doesn't. We get stuck in that, and God says, you got to move away from that. Right. you got to move into something that I'm going to do in your life, something bigger, something greater, if you're willing to do that. You see, even uh, Moses, after you know, they, they got through the Red Sea, and then they, they moved on, and there was, they were in this battle, and what happened is when Moses would lift up his arms, the enemy would be defeated. He got tired, as we all do. It's a great lesson, just, just in and of itself. If you're trying to lead something, sometimes you just get tired and your hands go down. Well, the enemy started to win when his arms went down. So they had two guys that came and held up Moses' arms because, you know, that's what brought the victory. And that's what we think. The victory came because Moses' arms were up. No, the victory came... Because God put his hand of favor on Israel. But watch this. Even though his arms were up, the victory came because the battle was won by the soldiers on the field that were fighting and saw the arms up and knew that God was with them. But the sword was still in the hand of the soldier. Did you catch that? Moses' hands were in the air. But the sword, the, the hand that was fighting was on a sword that God was giving victory. And you got to know it's in your hand. The victory is in your hand. It's right there. You see, we find this amazing story that helps us understand about getting unstuck. And you may not feel like you're, I'm not stuck. I love God. Oh, yeah. But I think there's some attitudes and there's some things. That, there's maybe even some doors that are trapped away. 
one of the ones that <laughs> that is so easy to, to talk about because people immediately identify with is uh, unforgiveness. You know, I love God, I love people, but this person I will not forgive. You're stuck. You're stuck. Or, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I don't know about this giving stuff. I don't know about all that that, you know, Jared was talking about earlier and stuff and being intentional. I, you know, you're stuck. There's an area in your life that you're stuck in. And God is moving and God wants to help you understand that. So in this story, it's probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Jesus comes and he's with all these people. It says that there's 5,000 men, but literally there's probably over 20,000 counting the women and the children. And so there's a, there's a, a massive crowd. If you've ever been in a, an, a, a huge arena with 20,000 plus people, you don't know what that's like, you know, where you've got a bunch of people around. Well, we're going to find it again one day. <laughs> but imagine all those people, and they're sitting there, and they're listening to Jesus, and Jesus says, man, there's no place for these people to, to eat. So I'll tell you what, he turns to disciples. This is how everything begins. You just must understand what I'm saying. He turns to the disciples and says, hey, guys, feed these people. That's all he said. Feed these people. Well, that just put the people into a panic. Are you kidding me? Feed. There's 20,000 plus people. There's no way we can feed the people. I think Jesus probably just sat back and smiled a little bit and said, well, okay, what do you got? And he said, well, we got this. uh, We've looked around for food. (laughs) Such a weak attempt. We we looked around for food because you told us to feed the people. And we've come up with five loaves of bread and two fish from somebody's lunch. Jesus said, well, that's enough. So Jesus takes the five loaves and he takes the two fish. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it to the disciples. Here's the point. Let me just jump right ahead to that. The miracle is in your moving hands. What are you believing for? What are you asking for? God, I need you to do this. God, bring this healing. Do this financial thing. Do this. Heal this relationship. Do something like that. You know, you know. listen to what I'm saying. The miracle is in your hand. It's right there in your hand. Because scripture seems to indicate in a very clear way that Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke the five loaves and the two fish. It says that he broke the five loaves and the two fish. So he broke it all up, the five loaves and the two fish. And he gave it to 12 disciples. So he took the five loaves and the two fish and he divided it between 12 disciples who then went out with just a little bit of food, not much food, just a little bit of food. He went out and they then had just this little bit in their hand and they began to feed 20,000 people. Here's the point. The multiplication came from Christ, came from Jesus, but was not in his hands. It was in the hands of the disciples, fulfilling the very thing that Jesus said at the beginning, feed the people. So they went out and they had just this little bit that Jesus gave them and they took the little bit and were able to feed so much. The, the, the story behind that is endless. Take the little bit. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a small thought, if it's a small finances, if it's a little bit here, if it's a broken thing here, if it's just not much, and it will be enough. You will be able to touch the world. You'll be able to change circumstances. You will see your miracle with the little bit that God gives you. 
So the disciples were, were just like psyched. They were like pumped. They were like, wow, look what happened. I had this little, just this little bit. Because I'm convinced with all my heart that they started with just a little bit. They didn't start with 10 baskets that Jesus multiplied. The multiplication came from the disciples' hands as it was blessed by Jesus. And the multiplication and the miracle that you want to see is going to be in your hands as you are blessed by what Jesus has done in your life. So they were psyched and everything. And Jesus comes to them. And almost as, as difficult as the first thing about feed the, uh, feed the people, he came and says, okay, y'all leave and go. What? We don't want to leave. We want to hang out. I just fed, I just fed thousands of people, man. They're fucking around me. You know, they're just like, hey, whoa, you're, you're not, no, no, get in the boat. And this is what it says in Mark 6.45. It says, Jesus made his disciples, made his disciples, commanded, literally. He didn't give them a choice in the way it was worded seemed to indicate they didn't want to get in the boat. Mm. I think that's a way it is a lot of time. God wants us to move and we don't want to get in the boat. He says, get in the boat and go ahead of me. Get in the boat and go. Get in the boat and go. Jesus was trying to help them move. So they get in the boat and they go out in the... Uh, in the water, in the sea, to do what Jesus said. And as they're doing what Jesus said, the wind comes up and the waves get harder and all of a sudden they get stuck in the middle of the sea. Oh, wait. They're doing what Jesus said. God said, do this, and all of a sudden the wind is against me. And we get shocked. We get surprised. We just think, what? How is this? How is this right? I'm doing what God said. I'm where God wants me to be. I'm being as obedient as I can. And the winds against me. The waves against me. God doesn't love me no more because the waves against me. No. Don't be shocked when all of a sudden things go wrong. Don't be shocked when every car you have breaks down. Don't be overwhelmed when all of a sudden this is coming against you and that's coming against you. What did God say? God said, get to the other side. God said, move to go through that sea. That's what Jesus told his disciples. And they're all like shocked and worried and they're like freaking out thinking, man, this is not right. And I don't understand what's going on. And, and this is not good. Jesus is praying. This, is, this uh, story is actually in three of the four Gospels. And Jesus is praying, and he, he looks out and he sees that they're stuck. You've got to know this. If you miss everything else, don't, don't miss this. God is moving, but God knows when you're stuck. God always knows when you're stuck. God has given up on you just because you're stuck. He knows how to get you to the other side. He knows how to get you. And that's what this is about. Don't lose the, the whole metaphor we're talking about. About This is a moving table. This is a, a table where God doesn't just move. He takes us with him. <laughs> he helps us get there. How do we get to the other side? How do we get healing? How do we change my life? How do I see the miracle of my life? God will get you there. Even though you're stuck. So Jesus sees them stuck in the, in the sea. And so he thought he'd go take a stroll. So he starts walking on the water. Now, it's important to notice that in one of the uh, Gospels, this is what it says. Jesus was walking, sees them in their boat, and intended to walk by them. What? That's not the loving, kind, wonderful Jesus I know. What do you mean you're trying to walk past? He, he was just going to walk. He had no intention to stop. Do you realize that? 
According to the Bible, he had no intention. I'm going to move and I am not going to stop. Why? Because the goal was always to get them on the other side. <laughs> and you're thinking, God, how come you're not doing this? You're not doing that. The goal is to always get you unstuck. You've got some wrong attitudes. You've got some wrong uh, uh, perceptions in your life. You've got some wrong faith in your life. You've got some, some things that are just backwards. Or things, and God is always about to get you unstuck. <laughs> That's what he wants to do. And we're about... This immediate crisis and God says, it's not just about this. It's about to get you to the other side because that's always was the, the command. That was the goal. That was the purpose. So Jesus comes walking on the water and he's going to walk on by. Now, they look out there and they see Jesus in the mist, in the waves, in the fog, some creature. They don't know it's Jesus. Something walking on the water. Now, every first century Jew knew or just had this sort of a myth that all things evil and creatures came from the bottom of the sea. They all knew that. that they all believed that. Or, or, or the myth was, this is what they were taught, <laughs> is that if there's something evil or something demonic, that the openings of hell was at the bottom of the sea. So if you just have that as a sort of a folklore in the back of your mind, and you look out there and you see this little uh, figure walking across the water, what's your first thought? <laughs> it ain't good. This is something bad going to come. And so they were petrified. Oh, no. It's like a, it's like a sea creature coming. <laughs> you know, it says that it's a, the Bible translated as ghost, which literally means some kind of uh, phantom, some kind of a creature. That's what they thought. That's exactly what they thought. And they see Jesus out there, and then Jesus, you know, he's going to walk on by him. But now, <laughs> because they totally misunderstand, mm, Sometimes we're stuck and we begin to misunderstand. The depth of their misunderstanding is about to be revealed. The depth that goes so much deeper than just not recognizing who Jesus is. So all of a sudden Jesus sees that they're in fear and panic and says, Hey guys, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not a sea creature. This isn't a monster coming to attack you. It's me. It's me. At this point... We have something just peculiar because it says that Peter in one of the Gospels, it says that Peter said, um, uh, it, um, you say you're Jesus, but if it's really you and the way it's structured seems to show a lot of doubt. It's not like Peter saying, hey, I recognize Jesus. <laughs> no, uh, because uh, earlier or, or later uh, after the, uh, his death and resurrection, he sees Jesus on the shore, and Jesus doesn't say, command me to come to you. He says, I jumps in the water and just starts swimming toward because it's Jesus. So what happens here, he comes, Jesus, if that's really you, if, yeah, I don't know if that's you. If it's really you, then, uh, then, then how many, uh, command me to get out of this boat because we're going to test and see if that's really you. And I think Jesus said, sure, fine, come. So he starts walking on the water. He gets all of a sudden just freaked out by the waves and the winds. He sinks. Jesus grabs him, and he's immediately in the boat. Now, what's really interesting is that Mark's version doesn't record this. And most people believe that Peter either wrote Mark uh, uh, by dictating it to him or was heavily influenced in Mark's writing. So why would Peter not even put in this story? I mean, this is what we think everything's about, right? This is about walking on water. This is what the story is about. And that I don't think is what it's about at all. Because out of the three stories, only one includes it 
in the in the story itself, which means the other two didn't think that's that's not what's important. That's not what the message was about. That's not what the story was about. And even uh, Mark, who was heavily influenced by Peter, uh, most likely didn't even include it. He said, don't even talk about it. That's not the point. It wasn't about me walking on the water. See, we get this all backwards. We think it's about getting out of the boat and walking on water. And it's never about getting out of the boat and walking on the water. It's always getting unstuck. That was the problem. The problem was God said, go there. They couldn't. They were stuck. And that's what God wanted to do. And we'd say, I know, we want to walk on water. You see, you've got to understand something. Walking on water does not get you unstuck. Mm. I need to say that again. Because uh, some of you got coffee and you're coming back, you're sitting back down. Walking on water does not get you unstuck. It doesn't, in other words, the big miracle, the big thing that you think is, oh, that's the answer. If it was, if I could just win the lottery, then my, my, everything is good. Well, you can't handle your finances now. What makes you think if there are a lot more, you'll handle them? Sorry, that was just totally uncalled for, right? <laughs> or, or you think, if I just get that promotion, or if I just get this, if I just get this big thing, if God would just heal that, if God would just change that, if God would just do this great thing, then everything will be okay. And the problem is not those things. The problem is what's in your heart. The problem is you're stuck. And you're stuck in your view of God that you think God is this um, one that beats you up every time you get something wrong or you're stuck in so many ways in your own heart. And you say, well, Greg, wait a minute. What's this story about? About Peter walking on the water, the boat stuck, Jesus coming, creatures from the sea. What is it all about then? Actually, we don't even have to guess. We don't even have to figure it out because the Bible tells us specifically what this story is about. And it might surprise you because in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, it says this, for they had not understood about the loaves. So what happens is Jesus gets in the boat and says, guys, you got no faith. I mean, come on. I told you to get to the other side here and you're stuck. You just, you just blew it. And it says that the reason they blew it, uh-oh, you got to get this. The reason they didn't understand, because they didn't understand about the loaves. So really, this is just one story. This isn't the loaves story, feeding by a thousand, Peter walking on the water, and then, you know, something else. No, no, this is one story. This is one idea. The reason they messed, the reason they were stuck is because they didn't understand what Jesus was trying to do when they fed the 20,000 people. And what Jesus was trying to do, it says, the answer is in your hand. It's right here. You see, this story is all about Jesus trying to move the disciples to understand how they can change the world around them. He said, feed the 20,000 people. We can't feed 20,000 people. We got no food. Fine. Give me the food. Here's a little bit of food. Now, feed the 20,000 people. And from their hands, the little bit becomes abundance and feeds 20,000 people. They missed it. They missed it, they missed it, they missed it. They thought it was about waves and, and water and sea creatures and walking on water and getting out of the boat and all the songs written about walking on water and all that type of... No, 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 no. It's because their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand that God says, I am greater than you can even imagine because I can take a little bit and put it in your hands and through your hands change the world around you. Change circumstances, situations. The answer is in your hand. If you just begin to understand, because when God moves, He wants us to move. And right now, God's moving. 
He's moving so that you see things in a bigger way than you ever have before. That all of a sudden the fear that's gripping your heart is gone. The doubt or the worry or all these things. God wants, you're stuck in those things. You say, how do you know I'm stuck, Greg? I may not be stuck at all. Maybe God just hasn't worked the answer out yet. Maybe I'm not stuck. Well, let's look. Because we can figure out really quick if you're stuck. If you've lost hope, you're stuck. I don't care what you say. I don't care how many times you've come to church, don't come to church, watch online, don't watch online, give this, give that, it doesn't matter. If you've lost hope, you are stuck. Because hope is what gets us to move. And without hope, we can't move. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, Since we have hope, we're very bold. <laughs> Why are you so bold? Why are you believing God can heal you? Why do you believe in God can move this? Why do you believe God's going to do anything? Because I have hope. And if you don't have hope that God is in this pandemic, turning things around, if, if you don't have hope that God is in your family, that God is in your finances, that God is in your heart, that God can change those attitudes, those things in your life, if you don't believe that, if you don't have hope, you're stuck. Wait, is that possible? Can I be a Christian and not have hope? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can believe that Jesus loves you and is up there and forgiving you, and one day I'll be in heaven, but, you know, have this sort of a Igor attitude, you know? Is in that in what it is, Igor, with uh, Eeyore. Eeyore. Igor would be something else. Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Well, it's probably not going to work out. Those Christians are stuck. Because you've got no hope. Here's another one. If you're feeling all alone, oh God, just all alone, you're stuck. You're the prophet saying, nobody loves me, God. I try to do the right thing. I try to go the right way. And I'm just the only one. And God's going, you are stuck. Are you, what are you kidding me? I got thousands out there. You're stuck. If you're feeling all alone and all isolated and all poor me and I'm not, nobody cares. Nobody really loves me. You know, I'm a pastor. Nobody will come to church. <laughs> I, I, is that too real? I'm just saying, if you feel that, that's what the enemy does with everybody. He just puts that on everyone. He puts it in there. And if you allow that, if you're feeling all alone, if you're feeling isolated, if you feel like nobody loves you, nobody cares, and it's just me and I'm not going to do it, then you are stuck. Because you cannot move into what God wants. Because Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk. We'll talk about Habakkuk later. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never. Never. Never, 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 never. Can I say it one more time? Never. God is there. God is moving. And God is oh, saying, come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, come on. Go through the sea. It's okay. I know I know. it seems like it's stuck, but I'm going to hold off Egypt, and you're going to keep moving. But don't get stuck in the boat in the middle of the sea. Get to the other side. The answer was always in their, in their uh, uh, minds and hearts. It was always there. Jesus said, look, I gave you a little bit. You faked 20,000. Now the story is it, when you're stuck and you don't think you can go, you can do it. You can trust me. You can believe. This, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling, whatever you're, you're thinking, I can't do that, you can break through with that. You can get to the other side. Here's another one. If you're ruled by fear, you're stuck. There is no fear in God. 
We trust God. Man, I, I don't think I've seen a time where people are more afraid. They're afraid, afraid, afraid. And I'm not saying this in a political way to do this or don't do this or be here or wear this or don't wear this. It's not about that. It's about what's in your heart. We cannot be people of fear because fear will get you stuck. It will keep you in one place. If you're afraid your your, uh, marriage will never turn around, you're stuck. And the odds are, If you're afraid, God, that I don't think I can be healed. I don't think I'm going to make it. That fear paralyzes. I remember when Jared was just a really young boy and he wanted to learn how to ride his bike. So that's what dads do. Dads go out there and help their sons and daughters ride bikes. You know, so I went out there and said, ride a bike. You know, so at first, you know, put him on the bike and you know, takes a little helmet off. You know, just like. Just thinking, I'm doing my dad thing. I'm just so excited. I'm doing my dad thing. Because that's what dads do. So I'm pushing him around. And I realized, though, he just riding it. He didn't have a good old time. <laughs> you know, he's steering. You know, he's riding. I'm pushing. I'm doing I'm like, Wait a minute. you got to do some of the work. I said, what? I said, Jared, you have to pedal. And he's looking at me like, why should I pedal? You're just pushing me around. No. I'm going to be a good father. And a good father just doesn't push you around. You better hear what I just said. A good father just doesn't do it all there. A good father teaches you how to pedal. So I said, hmm, Jared, let's stop here now that you got a feel for it. And I see it. I need you to move your feet. And he just sort of sat there for a while. I think, no, yeah. Because I'm not going to push you until you push the pedal. I'll help you and I'll stand. You have to, you have to move your feet. And I could just see there was a bit of a fear. Wait, I, I have to do this? Yes. I'm there, I'm with you, I'm helping you, but if you're going to move, you got to have to move your feet. <laughs> you got to have to push the pedal. And all of a sudden, he started to move the pedal, move his feet, and when he moved the feet, he moved the pedals, and when they moved the pedals, he moved the wheels, and when he moved the wheels, he started to move. See how that works? Now, I'm still holding on. Now, I'm still right there. Jared, I'm good, I'm right here. Don't let go, Dad. No, I'm right here. Don't let go, Dad. No, I'm right here. I'm not going to let go. And then we did that for a while, and he was moving his feet. And then eventually I said, okay, Jared, I'm going to let go. No, no, no. It's going to be okay. Because I'm going to stand right here by you. It's going to be okay. I'm going to stand right here by you. I'm going to let go, and I'm going to be right here. So let go. And I'm doing it, and he's pedaling. He's on his own. I'm right here. I'm right here. And then pretty soon he's like, wait, Jared, come back. (laughs) He's off. He's off moving. See? That's what God wants. God wants us to move. God wants you to move. God wants you to grow. God wants you to change. And we're sitting there and we're so stuck in where we're at. He said, Greg, I don't want to be stuck. How do I not be stuck? (laughs) Okay, here's a couple of thoughts. Stop doing the things that cause you to get stuck. Because you're doing something that caused you to get stuck. What am I doing? Well, I think one of the things that happens very often is that we see monsters. So stop seeing monsters. It might be a miracle. The disciples in the boat were stuck. Jesus was the answer. Jesus is always the answer. He loves you so much. His goal isn't to leave you stuck in the middle of the sea or despair or sickness or hopelessness or depression or guilt or shame or sin. It was never about that. 
It was always there. But you see, until the disciples began to understand that Jesus wasn't a monster, but he was actually the miracle. And he needed to be in their boat. And they needed to have faith to believe that the boat could move. Things would never change. And you're looking at your circumstance, at your pain, at your failure, at your brokenness, at your debt. You're looking at those things and you see a monster. And I understand that. But God wants us to see that Jesus is the miracle in the midst of every one of those. And here's my last thought. Stop seeing the mistakes. Instead, understand it might be your miracle. Or it might be your moment. It might be this very moment. You, you, you see the mistake. You see your failures. You see your sin. You see your weakness. And you think, God, I can never move. I can never change. I can never grow. I'm just stuck here. And God said, wait, wait, wait. This is the moment. You see it as a mistake, but right now, maybe this is the moment to say, God, I need you. God, do something in my life. God, I believe that you put things in my hand and I can change the world. God, make the mistake into the moment of repentance and acceptance of what God can do in your life. Get unstuck. And I think right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to people how to get unstuck. Some of you are stuck in your sin and you've been struggling about whether you should serve God or not. And right now, this is your moment. You need to say, God, come into my life. I surrender my own stubborn, selfish will, and I give you everything that I am. And when you pray that, then God takes the mistake and turns it into a moment. Only God can take mistakes and turn it into a moment. Only God can take a situation that's broken and turn it around. That's what God wants to do in your life. And if you're a Christian and you're, you're saying, God, I need this in my life, and God, this is going to be changed, and I'm stuck in this area, I'm going like that, this is the moment. Take, seize this moment. And see that God has taken what is broken and what is uh, maybe a monster and maybe uh, something that is a mistake and turns it around into, into the most powerful moment of forgiveness, grace, power. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In other words, the bread that's on the table, that's Jesus. And the reason that we can move with God is only through Jesus. Jesus is the answer to absolutely everything. I want to pray with you right now. And whatever you're at in all those things I talked about, here's the answer, Jesus. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your precious Holy Spirit talks to every single heart, every single life, and just receive what you're trying to speak, what you're trying to do in every single heart. God, we receive you. God, we repent of our own stubborn ways, our own mistakes, our own failures, our own sin, and we receive you in our life. God, we want to get unstuck because, God, you're moving, and we want to move with you. God, you're touching this world, and we want to change this world. God, you're taking what is broken and a mistake, and you're turning it into a moment of life and revival. And, God, we're believing for that in the name of Jesus.